Good morning, church, and welcome to those who are joining us online. Uh, if you are joining us for the very first time, we greet you in the wonderful name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And for those, again, first time listeners to this message, we are busy with a series uh, by Carl Adelman entitled, Not a Fan. We are, in fact, in week four of the message. Uh, but I want to encourage you that even though we are in week four, week four, week four, however you want to do it, week four, uh, the, even though we are in week four of the message, each message, the, me the series doesn't build upon each other itself. In some series, we kind of build, like the Shape series, the Shape to Serve series, it builds from one, from one week to the next. Uh, this particular series, not a fan, first message, profoundly important to actually set the tone of the entire series. But each message stands on its own in independence. So you don't need week three's message to hear today's message. Uh, which is fine, but I do encourage you to go back and to listen to all the messages. Go to my website and you'll see all my messages dating back for over for nearly a year or more. And, and go and listen to those, uh, but especially this one. Uh, so yeah, so the title of today's message, week four, not a fan. The title of today's message is Comfortable Cross. Comfortable Cross. Christ. Now, I know that's a bit of a contradiction in terms because there's nothing comfortable about carrying a cross. A cross on which you can be crucified is not a small cross that you hang around the neck. It's a big cross. It's heavy. Jesus let it fall. There's nothing comfortable about carrying a cross. There's nothing comfortable about being crucified. But friends, as Christians, we need to become comfortable with our calling to be Christ followers or as Christ followers. We need to become comf comfortable with our calling to live godly lives. Godly lives. And this means carrying our cross and not doing whatever we want to do when we want to do it. As much as we want to, we are called to be different. And that requires uh, setting ourselves aside, setting ourselves apart. That's what the word holy means, to be set apart. And it requires us setting ourselves apart, picking up our cross, and becoming comfortable with what God expects of us as Christians living in a sin-filled world. But friends, there's another aspect, elements to this comfortable cross thing to which we're going to be exploring today. It has less to do with what we must do in terms of living a godly life, and more to do with embracing the recognition that we need the cross. If you got to choose between a posipedic mattress and a box spring mattress, a 10,000 mattress or a 500 rand mattress, which one would you choose? What about uh, if you had to go for a walk or a run? Okay, you had to choose between your, your very comfortable Nike shoes or New Balance or whatever tacky it is that you like to run in, or you had to choose between wearing the, uh, some, some wooden clogs, what would you choose? If you could choose between a weekend at a spa clinic and a week camping in the desert on the hottest time of the year, what would you choose? Now, Daryl, you're going to say to me, those are loaded questions. Of course we're going to choose the nice ones. And that's the point. That's the point. You see, in each of these examples, your choice has always been comfort. Your choice has always been 
comfort. It is undeniable and probably an undeniable truth that society places a very high value upon comfort. There's a lot of money to be made on products that enhance people's comfort. You have memory foam for your bed and lazy boys for your living room, and you have a body pillow <laughs> to sleep at night, to hug at night. They even have TV shows that show you comfortable living. They make us envious. They make us covet that thing that God said we mustn't do. There's another one that's called Dirty Jobs. It's a show that goes around and documents some of the world's filthiest, most uncomfortable jobs, like a port-a-poo cleaner. And I'm, 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 I think I felt many of you wincing at that thought. The thought of it, the discomfort in it alone, is something that sets us aside, just in our minds. We sit on our cushioned couches laughing or wincing, and all the while grateful that we don't have to do that job. But here's some truth. It's a disturbing truth. And it's a real danger. That in loving comfort too much, we have continued to put more emphasis on comfort, comfort and our faith has followed suit. Our Christian walk has followed the comfort route. We become Christians accustomed to comfort. In Christian leadership circles, we call this Christian consumerism. Christian consumerism. We come to buildings that are warm in winter and nice and cool and air-conditioned in summer. Our chairs are padded. Even our Bibles are soft leather covers, easy on the fingers. And before you know it, and it is happening already in some churches, the message has become comfortable. The message has become padded. The message has become easy to handle. And eventually the message of the Messiah becomes a whole bunch of moral mush. Christianity, and I've said this before, Christianity has become a cruise ship for the saved rather than a rescue boat for the lost. In Luke 9, 23, our anchor text for this entire series, it says, If anyone come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. So what do comfort-craving fans do with something like a cross? Remember, we're in the uh, series, not a fan. So if you're a fan and not a follower, if you fit into the category of fan, again, you need to go back to message number one to year two to kind of define where you are. Define the relationship. That was message number one. If, what do fan-craving followers or fans, what do uh, uh, comfort-craving fans do with something like the cross? Because it's pretty hard to avoid the cross when you're Christian. What can, what can you do with a phrase like, take up your cross? Fans eventually find a way to make even the cross comfortable. They create a comfortable idea of the cross and what it means for us today to take up your cross. So the phrase, we have all crosses to bear, gets thrown around nonchalantly, loosely referring to even the most menial of everyday tasks and inconveniences. And the cross of Jesus even gets pushed to the back of our sermons and Bible studies. We've ended up, friends, with a comfortable cross. 
But you might ask, well, what are we supposed to do, Daryl? What are we supposed to do? The cross, it's a tough sell. Aren't we supposed to make Christianity appealing? I mean, it's bad enough that Jesus had to die on the cross, but did he have to really go and say that we must carry a cross? Sometimes for fans, it seems that the cross is ruining Christian public relations. And we're not getting people because it's a hard sell. It's difficult. So we try and make our best to make it as appealing as possible. But friends, what have we sacrificed in the process? In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul talks about how the world sees the cross. In verse 18, he says, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to those who are being saved, it is the power of God. For those living in the first century, the cross was the ultimate symbol of weakness. For many, then and now, the message of the gospel, that God comes to earth in human form and was crucified, it is complete foolishness. Then and now, and sometimes even more now. Why would God use a symbol of torture? Why would God use a symbol of death, of weakness, to save the world? Maybe the idea of the cross seems more appealing to us because it's no longer used for execution. And we've dressed it up. We're used to seeing it as an ornament, as a decoration or a piece of jewelry. But if a first century Jew came in and saw an illuminated cross hanging on the wall, they would think that we are sick. It would be to them the same as if we hung a guillotine around our neck or an electric chair on our earrings. You see, for the Jew, the cross meant weakness. And that's exactly God's point. That's what makes the cross so powerful. You see, God takes what, from a human perspective, is foolish. He chooses what is no glory, carries no honor. He finds the less likely symbol for love and life and says, I'll use that. God takes what the world sees, sees as uh, foolish, demeaning, shameful, and he says, and he turns it into the power of salvation. Again, 1 Corinthians 1 says that he turns the foolishness of the cross into the power of salvation. But if you look at verse 22, it says the Jews demand miraculous signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. For the foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom, and the weakness of God is stronger than man's strength. Listen to that again. The foolishness of God, if God could ever, ever be called foolish. The foolishness of God is wiser than man's wisdom. <coughs> and the weakness of God is stronger than man's death, uh, strength. Friends, who else but God could take a cross that represented defeat and turn it into a symbol of victory? Who else but God could take the cross that represented guilt and turn it into a symbol of grace? Who else but God could take a cross that represented pain and suffering and turn it into a symbol of healing and hope? Who else but God could take a cross that represented condemnation and turn it into a symbol of freedom? Who else but God could take a cross that represented death and turn it into a symbol of life? Who else 
but God. And he did. What seems like the ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality the ultimate moment of God's strength. I'm reminded about a Christian artist known as Carmen. He's, I think he's passed away by now. Who many goes many years ago wrote and performed a song entitled "The Champion," and in the the, the song, the the whole playout of the song was Jesus and the devil in a boxing ring fighting each other and having a go at each other for a couple of rounds. And towards the end of the song, the devil knocks Jesus down, and the father starts counting. He starts at ten, nine, eight. And the devil's getting excited, and his fans are getting excited. The fans are getting excited. Seven, six, five. And he's getting more excited, but then he starts seeing Jesus stirring. And this is the play that's going on in the song that Carmen sang. Until eventually we get to one, and Jesus stands up, and God declares him the champion, the victor. Who else but God? Who else but God? What seems like the ultimate moment of God's weakness was in reality the ultimate moment of God's strength. And this is why it matters. This is why this, mat this message matters today. What God did for the cross, He can do for you. What God did with the cross, he can do for you. When you're at our weakest, you're exactly where you need to be for God to be the strongest. It is an upside down truth of the cross. In verse 27, it says, But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. It's not that God used the cross in spite of its weakness. God used the cross because of its weakness. Throughout scripture, God continually chose the weak over the strong. Let me give you a few examples. Abraham was old. Jacob was insecure. Leah was unattractive and Joseph was humiliated. Moses stuttered. Gideon was poor. poor. Samson was proud. Rahab was a prostitute. David had an affair, Elijah was suicidal, Jeremiah was depressed, Jonah was disobedient, Naomi was a widow, John the Baptist was eccentric, Peter was impulsive and hot-tempered, Martha worried a lot, the Samaritan woman had several <coughs> failed marriages, Zacchaeus was unpopular, Thomas had doubts, Timothy was timid. The Bible has a long list of imperfect, imperfect misfits who discovered that weakness is God's strength. Our prayer, friends, must then be, God, do for me what you did for the cross. Do for me what you did for the cross. For something that was seen as weakness, as humiliation, as condemnation, that changed, you changed all of that. Do for me what you did with the cross. Paul talks all about this 
in the second letter to the Corinthians, he says in chapter 12, verse 9, he says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul says that he delights. There's no one that I know that would confess that they delight in their weaknesses. In fact, we go to great lengths to disguise them. If you go to a job interview, generally they, they ask this question, what is your greatest weakness? Now, let me tell you what you don't say. You don't say that you procrastinate. You don't say that you are a late sleeper. You don't say that you are untidy and unneat. You don't say those things. But you've been asked the question, so what do you do? Because you have to answer the question. So what do we do? Well, we give them an answer <coughs> that sounds like a strength. That sounds like a strength. And so we say something like, uh, I can be a little bit of a perfectionist. It's a weakness, perfectionism. But it can sound like a strength. Or you say to them, you say, I can be a bit of a workaholic. Which boss is going to say, hey, don't come back. I want the workaholic. Why do we do that? Because in our world, in our economy, weakness is not strength. Strength is strength. There are 2,000 plus self-help books published every single year that communicate one message. You can do it. You can do it. You have what it takes. Look deep inside yourself to find the strength within yourself. But Paul says that our strength, our strength, our strength comes from our weakness. There was a time a couple of years ago when my eldest son was much younger. <clears throat> we went on a church camp walk for men down to the wild coast and uh, it was a bit of a long walk uh, a bit of an uncomfortable walk and there came a time when 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 uh, Tim couldn't carry on and I could see in his face the strain I could see in his face the need to be carried and so I mean I got my backpack I'm carrying ourselves I'm carrying me and so I take Tim and I put him on my shoulders and we start walking we start walking. We can learn something from our children. We can learn something from our children. They're not afraid to turn to their father and to let their father know that they're struggling. They're not afraid to do that. They're not afraid to admit at that moment that they are weak. We need to do the same with God. We need to do the same with God. To be able to ask God for Him to be strong in our life. To do for me, to do for you what He did for the cross. As we get older, though, our pride gets in the way. We can want to show that we can carry our own load. And we refuse to admit our weaknesses, our dependence. But friends, I need you to hear today that the cross, we need to be comfortable with our need of the cross. Comfortable of our need to bow down at the cross. Not only to worship, 
but to surrender. And that's the test for followers. Will you, like Christ did before, trust God enough to let your weakness be His strength? Because it's when we let go of our need for comfort, our need of control, our need to glory in our strengths, our accomplishments, paycheck, trophies, whatever it is that you are placing your trust in. When we let go, that is when God can do in our lives what he did with the cross. And then he takes followers who are hanging by a thread. He uplifts their spirit. He takes followers in their weakest moments and uses it for enormous kingdom glory. He takes followers who were all but defeated and he turns their testimonies into life-giving messages of trust and hope. That, friends, is the power of the cross. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. We want to thank you for your word that is sharper than a two-edged sword. That cuts through all the facade, all the masks, all the, the, the walls and the armors that we've put up and the hardness that we've put there. It cuts through all of that, dividing soul and spirit right down to get right to where no one else can. to get down to the truth of who we are. Father God, we desperately need you. We desperately need you. For in every single one of us, there is a place of weakness that we will not admit or confess. There is a place of weakness that needs your strength. And so I pray God for today in the name of Jesus Christ, that people will surrender their weaknesses to you. That they will turn to their father who loved them so much that he sent his son Jesus himself to go and die for them so that he may hold them in his palm of his hand for all eternity. I pray, Father God, that people will let go and let God. I pray this for your glory and for your honor in Jesus' name. Amen. I invite you, for those who are online, to join us for our closing song and then for our closing blessing. Receive now the blessing of God. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face to shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May the Lord turn His countenance to you as you turn to Him and may He give you His peace. In Jesus Christ's name, for His glory's sake, amen. We shall see you next week. Join us.